I'm going to talk to you. Calvary is a passport, beloved, that grants us intergalactic travel. I can just imagine being behind our Savior Jesus, the creator of all things, heaven, earth, all things, and taking a tour through the universe. Just imagine that. Have you ever been on a tour before? Imagine a tour by King Jesus, my sister, where Jesus is explaining to you not only how he made the sun by his word, but how he uh, upholds it and sustains it by that same word. Imagine Jesus teaching you the components of the moon, teaching you what it is to be uh, this distance from Mars and this distance from these stars and all these various things. Do you know that nobody can teach us science like King Jesus? Because nobody is qualified in the same way that Jesus is. Beloved, I want my passport this evening. Because that's a teaching, uh, that's a lesson that I don't want to miss. I want to be in the class of Jesus Christ. How about you? Are we enjoying our studies here? But we'd prefer to be taught by Jesus himself, wouldn't we? Beloved, so then we got to gather everything we can in this earth as we're studying so that when Jesus finally comes, you and I can be front row in that special class. Amen? What is the passport? The blood of Jesus. Do you have your passport tonight? All right, beloved, because we're going to travel a little bit. I need to know, do you have your passport tonight? Do you know that if you go to the airport without your passport, they may tell you you can't fly. But there isn't a person under the sound of my voice who is not equipped tonight to take this flight. Amen? For God so loved the world. Now, I want us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. While we're on the subject... Of the two covenants, there's a foundational understanding I want us to have before we advance. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. Hebrews, chapter 8, beginning at verse 6. Say amen when you're with me. Amen. The Bible says, speaking of Christ, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Does the Bible say Jesus is the minister of a better covenant? It says it right there in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. Follow the last few words. Which was established, which was what? That word established, is it the same as the word founded? And when you establish something, have you founded it upon something? It's a foundation. The Bible says, speaking of this better covenant, of which Christ is the mediator, it was established upon better what? Promises. Now follow very closely, because many Christians today, we miss this point. The covenant, the better covenant, the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ, and however else you want to say it, the Bible says that that covenant was established upon better promises. Put this in your notes, beloved. Whenever we are talking about the old or the new covenant, it is impossible to arrive at what the Bible is actually saying until we realize that there is a contrast between two different sets of promises. When you talk about the old covenant, you're talking about promises. Because when you're talking about the new, the Bible says you're talking about better promises. Now, how can you have better promises if that's not contrasted to what were less than better 
promises. Does it make sense? Father God, help us. If the new covenant, according to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, was established upon better promises, then the fact that the Bible says his promises are better automatically contrasts the old covenant with promises that were not better. Is it clear? So whenever we're talking about the two covenants, we have to know that there are promises there to be understood. On the part of Christ, they are better. On the part of you and I, they're not only worse, beloved, but they don't work. And we're going to see that by the end of this uh, presentation. The reason why I started off that way is because often today, when the two covenants are presented, we get confused a little bit. The old covenant has often been depicted as being the Old Testament. Is that true? Think about it. The new covenant, simply put, is the only way that God saves men. Can we agree with that? Can God save a man by the old covenant thinking? No, beloved. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises, the new covenant. Now, if the Old Testament was the old covenant, were there any men in the Old Testament that were saved by God? Think about it. Let's talk about Noah. Was Noah saved by God? But if Noah was saved by God, then though he lived in the Old Testament time, Noah would have to be under what covenant? The new covenant. What about Elijah? Was Elijah saved by God? But Elijah lived in the Old Testament time. So even though you live in the Old Testament time, the way that God saves a man never changes. Think about it. Sometimes we talk about the Old and the New Covenant, and we think about it as God's plan A to save a man versus God's, guess what? Plan B. Does God need a plan B, beloved? Everything he does is perfect. God knows how to save a man. God knows how to form a man. God knows how to reform and, re uh, that's the word, reform, reformation, how to reform and save the soul. God does not need a plan B. So when we're talking about the old and the new covenant, it is imperative that we understand from the very beginning that we're not talking about how God used to save souls versus how God saves souls today. God has only ever saved souls by the blood of Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve believed that. Abraham believed that. Isaac and Jacob, Joseph believed that. You can study all throughout the Old Testament, and the only thing you will see from those that are saved is faith in the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. The two covenants. We're talking about two different promises, beloved. Kingdom building. Now, in last night's study, we took a look at a very special angel from the beginning of the great controversy. From the beginning of the war in heaven, his name was Lucifer. Did we take a look at Lucifer? Yes, we did. Now, the Bible said concerning Lucifer, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. We saw yesterday that Satan desired to exalt his throne into the sides of the north. And from the Bible, who did we discover it is that sits in the sides of the north? What did the Bible say? I took the text away because I didn't want you to use the open book, but I'll put it back there for mercy. Who did the Bible say it is that sits in the sides of the north? Christ. That is God. It says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the great city, or rather the city of the great king. So the very throne of God we saw from the Bible is precisely what Lucifer has wanted from the beginning of this war. It has always been about Lucifer desiring the throne of God and wanting to rip that away. Isn't that so? But we also saw from the Bible that God is righteous. And his throne is established by righteousness. The Bible says it is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness because the throne is established. The throne is founded by righteousness. What is the foundation of God's government, beloved? Righteousness. And we saw from our Bibles... In the book of Psalms, chapter 119 and verse 172, the Bible said all of God's commandments are righteousness. So then what is it at the very throne, at the very foundation of God's government that Satan has attacked? Righteousness, or in other words, the law of God. Is it clear? But I also took us a step further in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where the Bible said that Christ is our righteousness. So it's not merely the law that Satan attacks, but he attacks the very Savior who is the embodiment of every principle of that law. Can we see the point? Now, if Satan is at war with God's law, does he need to attack every single one of them in order to get you and I? Talk to me, beloved. Let me ask you a question. If I walked onto this pulpit today and I began to preach to you that it is okay for you to murder, would you leave here trusting my word? As Christians, we know there's something wrong with that type of preaching, isn't there? If I came upon this pulpit tonight, husbands, and I told you that it is okay to leave this place an adulterer and cheat with whoever you want, now your wives may stone me, but would I be telling the truth? No. As Christians, we would say there's something wrong with that preaching. If I stood on this pulpit and I told your children that it was okay for them not to honor their mothers and their fathers, would you be all right with that? Because as Christians, we would know that there is something wrong with that preaching. Do you know that Satan is wiser than that? Satan knows I can't attack the Christian world by telling the world it's okay to kill. They're too intelligent for that, Sister Ashley. I can't attack God's church by teaching her that it is okay to commit fornication. 
the wives will get the husband if I did that. And by God's grace, we're too wise for that only by his grace. Amen? But the Bible says in the book of James chapter 2 and verse 10, speaking of God's law, that if we are guilty in one point, then we're guilty of guess how much? You know that a man can tell the truth all his life, but if he's a thief, he's still a sinner before God. A man may never steal his entire life, but if he's a liar, then he is a sinner before God. Satan understands that in order to get all of Christianity on my side, I need not attack every point of the law if I'm going to get Christianity on my side, if I'm going to deceive. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, in the last days, be careful that anyone deceives you because if it were possible, the very elect of God would be deceived. Beloved, let me tell you something. I have told you faithfully by the grace of God every night since I've stood on this pulpit and I'm going to tell you one more time. Do not believe anything I say just because I say it. Hear what I'm saying. Do what? Then consider what I'm saying, but always take it back to where? Your Bible. Beloved, we're living in a day where people have trusted to men way too much. You would be surprised what Christians today believe from their Bibles, and it's not even there. I have seen brothers stand on the pulpit and, and, and tell you to turn to, uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 0 and verse 5. The Bible says, and the congregation will say amen as though we did not know there's no such thing as Genesis chapter 0. Beloved, the deception is that serious. Jesus said if it were possible, even the very elect, that is you and I, beloved. That is those that God has called into his purpose. The Bible says all things work for good to those that are called of God according to his purpose. Do you believe that? The Bible says you and I, those very same people, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves deceived, not because God wants us to be deceived, but because we trust altogether too much to man and not to what his word says. Do you want to hear my opinion on the two covenants or do you want to hear what the Bible says? You said that a little too timid. You better let me know, beloved. Brother Paul, preach what the Bible says or sit down. Amen? 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 Amen. The Bible said in James chapter 2 and verse 10 that if we're guilty of one point, we're guilty of all. So Satan has attacked one specific of the commandments. And we're going to get there, beloved. I want to ask you, what is Satan's special objective? Do you remember last night we talked about the temptations in the wilderness? And I showed you that Satan, in the first temptation, he says to Jesus, turn these stones into bread if you're the Son of God. And Jesus replies, it is written. Then in the next temptation, Satan says to the Lord, cast yourself down, because it is written, you see now he's flexing the fact that he understands Scripture too, he says, it is written that the angels of God will hold you up. Beloved, the devil can quote scripture. I am telling you, beloved, if there is nothing that I have ever told you in this entire series to prove to you by the grace of God alone working on my heart that I love you, it is that we cannot afford to simply trust to man. It is time to pick up our Bibles for ourselves and to see that Jesus is interested in teaching us personally. Teaching us how? 
personally. Satan's special objective, exposed. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, we saw that uh, Satan had uh, came to Jesus and he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Bible says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If you are the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. But Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, beloved, the devil took him up into an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and the glory of them. And he said unto Jesus, All these things will I give unto you if you will fall down and worship me. What is Satan after in these last days? What was Satan after when he started that war in heaven where the foundation of God's law, the foundation of God's throne was his law? What was he after? Worship. When he came to Jesus in the, in the wilderness of temptation, what was Satan after? Do you suppose that Satan is after something else in these last days? Do you suppose that Satan wants something other than your worship in these last days? Follow with me. The Bible says... After he demanded worship, then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence who? Satan. Now, interesting point. I made it last night, and a brother spoke with me, and I was thankful for the thought. Do you suppose that Jesus already knew he was dealing with the devil from temptation number one? Is that possible? Yeah, beloved, talk to me, yes? It is highly possible. In fact, I believe, you know, he was talking with me, and I'm like, that's a very good point. I believe Jesus knew who he was dealing with by the very fact that he was being tempted to do other than what God said. Now, I also believe that Jesus does things intentionally. He does things how? Why did Jesus choose to wait until the subject of worship came up before he identified for you and I to see who it was that he was dealing with? It is because Jesus, beloved, understands that in these last days, Satan's special objective has not changed. And in order for you and I to recognize him when he comes to us in his various temptations, be it from the pulpit, Bible study, we would have to know what that objective is. And we know now that Satan is after our worship. Is it clear? All right. We're going to continue building, beloved. Why do we worship God? Does anybody know? Anybody have the answer? Now, I want you to think about the Bible answer because I know from, for a fact that there are many, I've spoken to some of you, who have testimonies as to why they serve God. And I say, praise the Lord, continue in your testimony. That is why you sing, continue to sing by the grace of God. Amen? Now, by the word of God, why do we as Christians worship God? Somebody tell me. Somebody tell me. 
Somebody said because Jesus is the creator. Now, is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. Revelation chapter 4. I want us to understand this from our Bibles. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Speaking of Christ, the Bible, when the Bible speaks about Jesus, it's always very interesting. Um, you know, I, I endeavor to get a little notebook and take notes of everything that's said about Jesus, but I, I, I believe that if I were to do that, I'd end up writing the Bible all over again. Now, wouldn't I? Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Everything is about Jesus, beloved. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, the Bible says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast done what? Created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. So very simply put, as Christians, we worship God because he is the creator. Do you know that in order for you to be the creator of all things, you would also have to have in you the power to save all things should they ever fall? You would have to have the power to uphold and to sustain all things. Do you believe Jesus has that power? Well, then that means you believe Jesus is the creator. Is that Bible, beloved? Beloved, we're sure of these things. You better let me know. Jesus is the creator of my soul. That is how I know he is able to redeem my soul. Listen, if Jesus wasn't able to say, let there be light, and then there was light, in spite of the fact that before that there had only been darkness, it doesn't matter which minister stands before me. How could I believe that I, a sinner, could be anything but a sinner unless there was creative power to get it done? Beloved, when we talk about Jesus as the creator, we are literally listing his credentials as redeemer. He can save from sin in the same way he can say, let there be light and there is light. Do you believe it? I'm going to keep pressing on what we believe, beloved, because I want us to see we need to come into the unity of the faith based upon what is truth in the Word of God. What do you say? The Bible says we worship Christ because he created all things. Now, I want to give you a text from the Bible uh, in the book of Colossians because some of you may be wondering to yourselves, I know that God created all things, but nobody ever told me that it was Jesus that created all things. Now, that's a study in and of itself, beloved. If you want to talk to me about it, you can talk to me about it, but I'll tell you right now upon the authority of the Word of God. When the Bible says in the book of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it is talking about this same Jesus. Jesus' credential to save anyone is the fact that God's power is in him. Do you know that Jesus is God? It was a little quiet in here. Beloved, let me, let, me, let me lay a very important principle that I believe in with Bible study. Everyone in this room has questions, myself included. Isn't that so? That means that no one man has all the answers. But does Jesus? Do you know that wherever we are in our Christian experience, whatever we believe right now in our Christian experience, if we would trust Jesus, Jesus will lead us until we are all in the unity of the truth. Do you know that? Is it bad to have questions? You just need to know where to go to. 
Take all the questions you have, beloved, all of them, and bring them to the Word of God. Amen? 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 Praise the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, speaking of Christ, the Bible gives us this very important text. This is actually um, one of my favorite texts when speaking of Christ in the context of the Creator. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Say amen when you're with me. The Bible says, speaking of Christ, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, and even in the what? What do we have in Christ, beloved? What do we have in Christ, beloved? Do you believe that? Is there anyone under the sound of my voice right now who needs to leave feeling condemned? It got quiet, so I know you don't believe what you read. I'm going to read it again. The Bible says, in Christ we have the forgiveness of sins. Is that past? Is it present? Or is it future? It's right now. There is no condemnation this evening to those that abide, guess where? In Christ Jesus. Continuing in verse 15. Who is, speaking of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, how many things? Were created by Christ and for Christ. Beloved, the reason why we worship Jesus is because as Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says, as Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 17 says, Jesus is the creator of our souls. Do you know that's why the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Redemption is in fact an act of creation. Do we know this? Somebody says no. Redemption isn't creation, Brother Paul. Redemption has to be something else. Well, let me ask you something. The day that you met Christ in your personal experience, are you the same person you were at that time? I would hope not. Time with Jesus makes us not worse. It makes us what? Better than we were before. Creation and redemption are synonymous, beloved. In fact, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, where the Bible confirms this. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 1. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, the Bible confirms that the fact that God is creator testifies to the fact that he is also our redeemer. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 1, are we there? The Bible says, But now thus saith the Lord that did what? Created thee. So the creator is speaking, follow. Now saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, thou art mine. The Bible says that the same person, Jesus Christ, who we call creator, is the same person, Jesus Christ, that we call redeemer. Creation and redemption are synonymous works. It takes a creator, beloved, to recreate sinful men in his image. 
and Jesus is both creator and redeemer. Is that clear? So we worship Jesus because he is creator and because he is redeemer. Now I told you a moment ago that in order to get the entire world on his side, Satan is too wise to attack the commandment that says don't steal. Do you know you don't have to be a Christian to know that that's wrong? You could be a politician with no Christian background and you would know that if you steal, guess where you're going? To jail. Now they may not believe in the other place, but they do believe in jail, isn't that right? So they know that it's wrong. You can be a non-Christian and understand that if you are a liar, that that is unbecoming of a social character. Nobody wants to be around a liar, isn't that right? It's true. You know, my mother warned me that when we, when we spend too much time telling lies, you have to be careful because the more you tell a lie is the more you have to do what? Lie and lie and lie. And a person that lies, she says, is a person that eventually, even when they're telling the truth, beloved, nobody believes them. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. Everyone on the planet understands that. But there is one particular commandment in all the law of God that not only tells us who the Creator is, but tells us why it is that we worship Him. What is it that Satan wants from us this evening, beloved? He wants our... So then which commandment do you suppose he would vehemently attack in these last days? It would have to be the only commandment that speaks about the Creator. It would have to be the only commandment that touches on the fact that Jesus is that Creator and there is redemptive power right there in that commandment. Now, I had a study with, with my good friend Brother Todd earlier. And later on this week, we're going to see that there's a lot going on right there. A lot, beloved. But what I want us to understand now, isn't it interesting that the only commandment that begins with the word remember is the very commandment that all of Christianity today has tried so hard to forget? Think about it, beloved. Does God say anything that is not for our good? So when he says remember, he says it because he knows at some point in history, guess what we're going to do? Forget. Is it important to remember what God calls us to remember? Can we afford to forget what God has commanded that we remember? Beloved, I believe that safety is of the Lord and of the Lord alone. If God tells me that it is for me, then guess what? I want it. What about you? Let's continue. I want us to understand the science of true worship. The science of what? Or if I were to word that another way, the science of biblical worship. I believe the only true worship is the worship that the Bible endorses. What do you say? Amen? I believe the only Savior there is is the Savior that the Bible endorses. Do you believe that? Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, the Bible says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And we know that Jesus is the light of the world. How do we worship God, beloved? Louder? All right. Spiritual truth. Spirit and truth. Jesus said that those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in 
truth. How do we worship God in spirit and in truth, beloved? Where does a person receive truth? In the mind. Where does a person receive truth? In the mind. Do you know that anything that we call truth, the Bible claims that we ought to believe the truth. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, but the truth doesn't make free those that merely know it if they don't believe it. Do you know that a man can know that Jesus is Lord, but never receive Jesus is Lord? The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because we have rejected knowledge, the Lord is put in a position where he also has to do what? Reject us. It is not enough to know in our head we must believe. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, beloved. We're answering the question, how do we worship God? Brother Todd says we worship God in spirit and in truth. That is Bible. Amen. Romans chapter 7 gets us uh, some more clarity in that same line of direction. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Are we there? Verse 24, the Bible says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, with the what, beloved? With the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The Apostle Paul says, we serve God with our minds. So I'll ask the question again. How does a man worship? The answer is in spirit and in truth. Where do we receive truth, beloved? In the mind. Are we following? I want to share this quotation with you. It's from a book called Mind, Character, and Personality. Very interesting book. Now, I won't read the whole book, but I'll read this uh, section right here. In the red words, it says, The mind is the capital of the body. The mind controls the whole man. All of our actions, good or bad, have their source in the mind. It is the mind, beloved, that worships God and allies us to heavenly beings. Yet many spend all their lives without becoming intelligent in regard to the casket or the jewel case that contains this treasure. How important is it that we protect our minds and what we believe? The psalmist David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that the only reason why David was able to say those words is because David took time to actually study anatomy and physiology. Anatomy and physiology is simply the study of the structure and the functionings of our bodies. Beloved, do you know that when you study what God made of you, it tells you that God is very uh, closely attentive to every detail of your life. How many of you keep yourselves alive while you sleep? Brother Paul is not responsible for the fact that his heart is beating right now, but I praise God for that. When I close my eyes and I go to sleep, 
Brother Paul is not responsible for the fact that the heart keeps beating. All of these things were designed by an intelligent creator who loves us and wants to spend time with us. I believe that creator is Jesus, beloved. So when David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, I understand that the reason David knew that is because he took time to understand the machinery that God has made. But the mind that God created is the very capital of that being. Do you know that whatever your mind tells you to do, the rest of the body must follow? Can my finger tell my mind that it's going to go that way? Think about it, beloved. In order for me to do anything, do you know that I have to first think? I have to give my body the instruction to do it? If Brother Paul begins to put his right foot forward, followed by, guess what? Well, you say left foot, but what if Brother Paul's mind says that I'm just going to do this instead? Did the left foot ever go forward? Do you see my point? The fact of the matter is, whatever the mind tells the body to do, the body must do. So if it is with the mind that we worship God and Satan is after our worship, what do you suppose Satan would be after in these last days? Our minds. Satan knows, beloved, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Question, do we think with this organ here? What do we think with? The mind. So when the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, uh, that's Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. When the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, the word heart there is synonymous with the mind. As we think in our hearts, so are we. In order for Satan to establish his kingdom on this earth with people that worship him instead of God, Satan has to get possession of our minds first. Do you know that this is the reason why the Bible says... Oh, I'll get there in a moment. Oh. The Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 4, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Do you know that the more time we spend in the truth is the better condition in which we find ourselves? A man that spends all of his time in fiction, that which is false, that which is not true, is a man that begins to live an artificial life. Did you know that? Somebody says no. I've never watched TV that wasn't, that wasn't uh, based in reality. And as I'm watching these people on the TV screen argue, it has never had an effect on my marriage. Somebody says no, Brother Paul. I have never watched cartoons with my children that weren't teaching me about Christ. And the effect of those things was that eventually I began to see in my children artificial behavior. Do you know that it is imperative that we put what is true into our minds? Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth would do what? Make you free. Now, if truth, follow me, if truth has the power to make you free, what does non-truth have the power to do? If truth has the power to make you free, then anything that is not true has the power to do the opposite, that is to enslave you and I. 
No, I'm not going to visit your homes and find out what you're watching, beloved. I'll leave that with you and the Lord. I'm simply laying out a principle. I'm laying out a what? Principle. Jesus wants us to study the truth because Jesus wants to keep our hearts and our minds so that in these last days, we will worship only the creator of that mind. Praise the Lord. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure and lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Somebody says, Brother Paul, does God care what type of books I read? Does he actually care what type of books the Bible says? Whatever book it may be. It could be any book, amen? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just or pure or lovely, these are the things we ought to meditate on. God cares what we put into the mind because God created the mind in such a way that whatever we put in determines what we become. Do you know it is a law of the mind that by beholding, you and I actually become changed? The more we talk about Jesus, do you know what happens to us? We become more like him. Do you know the more that we talk about one another and our issues and our difficulties, sister such and such did this, brother such and such does this, sister such and such cannot cook. God have mercy on us, beloved. When we do those things, by beholding, guess what? We are becoming changed. God is seeking to take our minds in this generation and to fix it on better things, yea, to fix it on the man Christ Jesus. And as he does that, do you know that our conversation will change? Instead of talking about the faults in one another, we will talk about the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I think the beauty of the righteousness of Christ is a much better topic than all the things that are wrong with Brother Paul. What do you say? And beloved, I tell you, there are many things, but Jesus is merciful and gracious to a sinner like me. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus is seeking to give us truth this evening. Satan is seeking to do what to the world? Give them lies. Satan wants the world to believe a lie. Because Satan knows that if the effect of truth upon the mind is the freedom of the man, and Satan doesn't want the man to be free, the only way to enslave the man is to take away the truth and in its place give them a lie. Are we following? As the work of God's people moves, toward, uh, moves forward with sanctified and resistless energy, Planting the standard of Christ's righteousness in the church, moved by a power from the throne of God, the great controversy. The what, beloved? Or the great war. The word controversy means conflict. It means war. The great war will wax stronger and stronger and will become more and more determined mind. What is that word? Mind will be arrayed against mind. Plans against plans. Principles of heavenly origin against principles of Satan. Truth in its varied phases will be in conflict with error in its ever-varying increasing forms, and which, if possible, will deceive the very elect. 
We've got eight minutes. You know what I'm going to say? We're going to begin to briskly jog. Are you ready? Are you ready? Beloved, tie your shoes. There are some things that God wants you to understand this evening, and we're going to get it right now by the grace of God. Are your shoes tied? I can see some shoes aren't tied yet. Are our shoes tied? Praise the Lord. We're going to move forward. Beloved, my mother taught me this. When you're studying truth, or rather, if you were a banker, if you worked in a bank, do you know that bankers that are intelligent never spend their time teaching employees counterfeit bills? Do you know why that is? It is because counterfeit bills come in many different forms. If you spend all of your time studying what is not true and studying what is a counterfeit, it can change forms on you, beloved. But once you understand what a true bill looks like, do you know no matter what form the counterfeit takes, you will always know what is true and what is not? Spend time studying the truth. There is something in the Bible called the Old Covenant, and there's something in the Bible called the New Covenant. Is that where we started this evening? That's where we're going to land the plane, beloved. Is that where we began this study? All right, so buckle in. We're about to land the plane by the grace of God. In the book of Galatians chapter 4, let's go there. Galatians chapter 4. We want to understand these two covenants from the Bible. Galatians chapter 4. And keep in mind, beloved, there are also uh, personal studies that have been put together on this subject for you. Be sure to get one before you leave because there are so many notes. So many notes. I told you, if you came to me personally and you asked me to see my Bible, my Bible looks like a rainbow because there are so many things that we have to understand from the Word of God. And in those notes, the entire study is highlighted for you. You can replay it on YouTube or you can go back home and study personally. Amen? Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 22. The Bible says, For it is written that Abraham had how many sons? Two sons. One of them was by a bondmaid or a slave. The other was by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. And he of the free woman was born after promise. So God is making a contrast. Are you seeing that? One of these children was born by a slave woman. The other was born of a free woman. One of these children, which was born by the slave woman, was called after the flesh. And the other one was called after promise. Follow in your Bibles. In verse 24, the Bible says, speaking of these two sons, which things are an... What's that next word? I heard two different words. That means we're using different versions of the Bible. Someone give me, someone give me a word. What, what did the word say? Symbolic. In the King James Version, the word is allegory. My brother said symbol. Allegory and symbol, are they the same thing? Yes, they are. An allegory is simply a, uh, an object lesson. It is a symbol. God is trying to teach you something by a symbol. In our dictionaries, the word allegory is a story or a poem, a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning typically a moral or political one. It is a parable, it is an analogy, 
It is a metaphor, or as my brother in the middle row said, it is a symbol. Follow on. We're talking about the two covenants. The Bible says that this that we're reading here is a symbol, an allegory. Verse 24, which things are an allegory or symbol, for these are the two covenants. Did you know that we could understand what the two covenants are? If we would trace from the Bible and understand the way that Isaac and Ishmael were born, if you would study the wife of Abraham, whose name was Sarah, amen, and how Isaac was born, in contrast to the slave girl whose name was Hagar, through which Ishmael came, the Bible says you could begin to understand the two covenants. Now, earlier today, I showed you from Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 that if you're going to talk about the covenants and you don't see a contrast of two different promises, then the Bible says you don't know what you're talking about yet. Now we're seeing in the book of Galatians chapter 4 that if we're going to talk about the two covenants and we don't see the distinction between how Ishmael was born and how Isaac was born, then we don't yet understand what we're talking about. Is it clear? Is it clear, beloved? Now listen, I know my voice went down a little bit just a moment ago, but I warned you yesterday that if my voice should go too long, then we'll raise our hand and we'll say what? All right, so then we know. Follow with me. Going back to Galatians chapter 4 in verse 24, the Bible said these things are an allegory or symbol for these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth unto bondage, which is Agar or Hagar, beloved, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, beloved, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac, what is his name? Isaac. We, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of? Are we the children of bondage? We are the children of? Promise. Follow the thought. But as then, he that was born after the flesh did what? persecuted, beloved. He that was born after the flesh, that is Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is, guess when? Right now. Nevertheless, what say the scriptures? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, I told you we were going to briskly walk. Was that a brisk walk? Somebody says, no, that was a jog, Brother Paul. Was there a lot in that text? Yes, there was. Again, beloved, get the study notes because every aspect of that text is broken down for you. I would not have you leave this place without the ability to go back to your Bible and see what God is saying. Amen? Now, what I want you to see on the screen... On the left side, we have Hagar, who gave birth to who? Ishmael. And on the other side of the screen, we have Sarah, who gave birth to who? Isaac. 
The Bible said in Galatians chapter 4 that these two are an allegory and that they are the two covenants. Hagar and Ishmael, beloved, are an allegory or a symbol of the old covenant. And Sarah and the way that Isaac were born are an allegory or a symbol of, guess what? The new covenant. The Bible said that Hagar was an Egyptian bondwoman or a slave. The Bible said that Sarah was a free woman. Is that a contrast? Follow the thought. The Bible said that Hagar, uh, her son Ishmael, was born of the flesh. Those words of the flesh simply mean that there was a product of their own works. Do you know that anything we do that is of our own flesh is not God's work, it is guess whose work? Our own works. Is that Bible? But in contrast, Sarah, whose uh, birthed Isaac, Isaac was born of the promise of God. Ishmael and that old covenant produce only bondage. If we're living under the old covenant mindset today, thinking that we can do anything to reconcile ourselves to God, the Bible says we are in bondage. But in contrast, beloved, the Bible says that Isaac's birth symbolized freedom. Ishmael, beloved, always became the persecutor, and Isaac always became the persecuted. Those who live under the old covenant theology and mindset, thinking that they can do anything in and of themselves, will always persecute those who believe only by faith. Are we saved? Are we following? I know it's a lot, beloved. We have to get the study notes. Amen? The Bible said that Ishmael and Hagar, which symbolized the Old Covenant, was from Mount Sinai, and that should be going on until the second coming of Christ. Does anybody remember? In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 8, when the children of Israel were told about God's commandments, their response was, all that God has said, guess what? We will do. Is that a response of faith, my sister? Or is that a response that gives altogether too much confidence in what the flesh can do? This is precisely what the Old Covenant is. It is the promise of man to do what God alone has promised. It is the promise of man to fulfill what God alone says he can do. Has God promised to save you and I? Do you know that if we think tonight that we can do anything to save ourselves, even though we're living in New Testament times, the Bible says we are under the Old Covenant? But do we believe that Christ is able to save? Let me ask a better question. Do we believe that Calvary testifies that God has in fact saved the entire world? Do we believe that Jesus is able to work out in us the redemption that he got for us on that cross? Then the Bible says you and I are new covenant believers. What that simply means, beloved, from the Bible is that rather than going to our own works, we trust in the promise of God to accomplish what he said he would do. Is God's promise better than our promise? Have you ever made God a promise that you broke? I heard a chuckle. I'll leave that alone for mercy's sake. We've made promises, beloved. And every time we promise God that we will do better, guess what? We get worse 
and we get worse. The only promise that can make a man a Christian is the promise that God himself made to Abraham. He says, I will take my law and I will write it in their hearts or in their minds. They shall be my people and I shall be their God. Beloved, God's covenant is everlasting. Neither of these covenants are a condition of time. If you were living in the Old Testament, guess which covenant you needed to be saved? The new covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. If you're living in 2021, guess which covenant you need in order to be saved? The new covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ. That is what we need, beloved. Neither of these covenants are conditions of time, but they are both conditions of the mind. Is it making sense? Beloved, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 8, we said all that God promised we will do. And we have failed all the way to 2021 to do anything we promised. But in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 10, Jesus promised, Jesus gave a better promise that if we would lend him our hearts, if we would give him our hearts, our minds, he is able to do what we are not. I'm going to kneel and I'm going to pray right now. The old covenant is our promise, amen? Does it work? No. The new promise is the promise of God, a better promise whereby we must be saved. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, does his promise work? Is there anyone in here under the sound of my voice who desires by the grace of God to live every moment of life, not by uh, power, not by might, but by God's Spirit and according to His everlasting covenant of salvation, then I invite you to bow your heads with me. Father and our God who art in heaven, my hand is lifted up this evening because this study has renewed for me and has shown me even more my need of better promises. Father, I have promised you since I was a child that I would be better and better. And it is only by thy grace, dear God, that I have had any maturity in all of my life. Because better are your promises. Greater is your power. Faithful are you, O God. I commit not only myself this evening, dear God, but all those who raise their hand to you for your promise, your covenant, to be worked out in our lives. Father, we thank you for hearing us and for loving us and for all that you have done, all that you are doing and all that you continue to do with our families. Go with us now as we part ways, O God, and may heaven's atmosphere continue to abide with us. In Jesus' name, amen.